you guys for sharing with us. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and open with me to the book of Jonah, to chapters 3 and 4. And as usual, if you'll take your worship folders and open that up and take the notes out, many of the verses that we will be using outside of the book of Jonah will be printed there in your notes and might be helpful for you. We're going to be walking through chapters 3 through 4. Last week, we completed chapters 1 and 2. And if you look there at the top of your notes, I just wanted to remind you of, of the main elements we saw last week in the book of Jonah. We saw the path of disobedience. We saw that Jonah was a prophet called of the Lord to go to a pagan nation and proclaim repentance. And what did Jonah do? Very deliberately, he walked against God. He walked away from God. And then we also saw a path of repentance. A path of repentance that was sovereignly ordained, sovereignly planned, orchestrated by God. And this path of repentance would ultimately become a path of redemption. We saw the redemption parallels made by Jesus in the Gospels. And this week... We'll continue with these. We see these paths, and the first path that we'll see this week is a path of obedience. We see that Jonah is given another opportunity. The same statement that the Lord made in chapter 1 of Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, he makes again to Jonah in chapter 3. Arise, go to Nineveh, Jonah. And we see a path of obedience. But then Jonah didn't have it all right yet, did he? He didn't have it all together. And so we're also going to see a path of transformation, a path of transformation. So as we begin, I'd invite you to stand, and we're going to read chapter 3 together. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3 of Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah arose... And went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Then the word of the Lord reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and satin ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them. And he did not do it. You may be seated. Father, thank you for this story again. Thank you for the many things that we learn from this story of Jonah. Lord, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word. And Lord, I pray that you would transform your people. God, I pray that we would not be like Jonah. Lord, that we would walk in obedience, Father, but that we would have the compassion that you have. God, that we would reflect your image. 
Lord, that we would receive your word this morning and that we would walk in obedience. Thank you for your great grace in Christ Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you remember from last week, who are the main characters in the story of Jonah? Does anybody remember? God and Jonah, that's right. And so as we get to the story of Nineveh, it's very interesting as we look at this, that verses 6 through 10 in chapter 3 are the largest chunk in the entire book that doesn't include anything about Jonah. Verses 6 through 10 of chapter 3 are the only chunk, the largest chunk that don't include anything okay, about Jonah. So as we look at that, we need to remember who was Jonah written to. This, this book, this narrative, as it was recorded, who was it intended for? And if we look at that, what we learn is that the book of Jonah is intended to be read by God's people. It's intended to be read by the nation of Israel and ultimately now us, his church, the believers, those who walk with him, who know God. And so as we look at this, what we're going to see is that we are to learn from Nineveh. We could learn many things about the path of repentance that they walk in, how they do it. They fast, they put on sackcloth and ashes. But the important questions that we're going to need to ask is, what is God trying to teach his people about Nineveh's repentance? Remember, this book is written to be read by God's people. And so what is he trying to teach his people about this repentance by Nineveh? The main point in all that we see is that Jonah's response to God, this is in your notes, Jonah's response to God's forgiveness revealed his continuing need for transformation. Jonah's response to God's forgiveness revealed his continuing need for transformation. So let's look at this path of obedience. The first thing that we see in the path of obedience is that God provides The first place we see this is in verse 2. God says to Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Now, was Jonah going to Nineveh in an excited way? Was he really anticipating what he was going to do in Nineveh? Not at all, was he? And so as he goes to Nineveh, as he obeys God, the point that we see here about Jonah's obedience, about God's provision, is that Jonah is going to announce a message, not that he's made up, but a message that God has given him. A specific message that God has intended to give to the people of Nineveh. So as we look at this path of obedience, the first thing we need to see is that God provides For Jonah, it was specifically this message, a particular message that God had for the people of Nineveh. But from the entire message of Scripture, we see many ways that God provides in obedience. One thing that God provides is His presence. Joshua 1.9 Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Jonah would have been aware of this, God's people would have been aware of this, that when we walk in obedience, his presence goes with us. He is there to strengthen us, to give us courage. In obedience, he provides his presence. He also provides his strength. Look at Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10. These These are in your notes. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with a righteous right hand. 
You see, as we walk in obedience, God's plan, his purpose, all that God has promised is that he will sustain us. He will strengthen us in the path of obedience. No matter what we're facing, no matter how difficult it may seem, God's promise is, I will sustain you. I will walk with you. I will not abandon you. But besides these, as we saw, God's provided his words for Jonah. And we also know that one of the most difficult things about giving God's message to other people is finding the words, right? In evangelism, in, in proclaiming the gospel, one of the, most, one of the things that causes the most anxiety is, God, what do I say? God, what do I say? How do I tell this person? But as we see in Jonah, God provides the words. God tells us what to say. Romans 1.16 I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. As Paul went to people announcing God's message, he knew he didn't have to be extremely creative. The only requirement is that he tell them the truth, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has given us the message in the gospel. You don't have to come up with something. It's there. In fact, if you come up with something, you're probably doing exactly opposite of what God wants you to do. Also, Isaiah 55, 11, God says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall exceed, succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's promise is to produce fruit through his word. Not only to give us the words to say, the message, but also to produce fruit through his own word. And so as Jonah goes, he can be completely confident that the word that he has to give is not his own words, but it's God's words. And God's intention, God's plan to bring fruit is not through our message, it's through God's message. It's through the gospel, the message that he's given us. And so, People of Crosspoint, believers, this is the word that he's given us. This is how God provides. Are you fearful of some obedience in your life, something that God's called you to do? Look to these other verses. Trust that no matter how large the thing is that God's calling you to do, he's said, he's promised that he'll be faithful in obedience Obedience is how God blesses us with his presence, how he remains intimate with us as we walk with him through these things that seem almost impossible. And so are you trusting God in the midst of obedience? Are you trusting that he will provide for you in every way? And are you trusting that as you go out in your day-to-day life, as you have opportunity to share God's word with others, that all you have to do is turn to his word. You don't have to be extremely creative. It's his word that matters. And when it comes to eternity, it's his word that counts. It doesn't matter what else you gave them. In fact, that might even detract. It's God's word. It's always God's word that is most truthful and brings the most comfort. And so I would encourage you, church, Are you giving this word to people around you? Are you delivering this word? Are you trusting in God's provision in the path of obedience? God would provide for Jonah. Also, as we look in the path of obedience, we see it's God's plans that prevail. 
We see this in multiple ways, multiple ways. Where was Jonah supposed to go? Nineveh, right? Wake up. Where was, Nineveh, where was Jonah supposed to go? Nineveh. Where did he try to go? Tarshish, that's right. Where is he? Nineveh. God's plans prevail. The book is trying to teach us, the message of Jonah is trying to teach us that God's plans always prevail. Now, sure, this may not work out the same way in your life. You may try to be deliberately disobedient to God, and God will allow that. God will allow deliberate disobedience. And trust me, those of you who are trying to walk away from God, who are running from God, who don't want to repent, who don't want to turn to Him, God will allow that. But make sure you know this, whether God catches up to you in judgment or whether God catches up to you and you repent, He will catch up to you. Whether it's in the end and it's at eternity or whether it's now and you repent and turn to Him in faith and, and to Christ, He will catch up to you. God's plan will prevail. Whether that's judgment towards you or that's His grace and His mercy, His plan will prevail. There's another sense in which God's plans prevail. What we see in Scripture is that God's plans are never frustrated Despite the fact that people rebel against him and run away from him, somehow God always wins out. We see in Scripture throughout, if you continue to read, keep reading, God's plans are never frustrated. God's never confused. God's never wondering if his way is going to come together. God's plans are always going to prevail. On another note, Jonah's a prophet, right? He's a preacher. And if he had his preference, he'd probably be carrying out his local preaching responsibility in Israel. Probably there around the temple. Now, it's just the nature of a preacher, of a prophet, that you want results, right? I mean, can you imagine me coming up here and saying it Sunday, you know, I, I really I worked hard preparing this message for you. I really did, but what I hope is that you walk out of here and just keep doing what you're doing. That's what I really expect. I mean, that's, well, regardless of whether I expect it, that's, you know, that's what I really hope. That's ludicrous. It doesn't happen. What a preacher wants, what a preacher desires, is that he preach the message and the people respond in faith and in obedience. Now Jonah, if he had his preference, would have hung out in Israel and continued his prophetic ministry there. Pay close attention here. The last place Jonah desired or expected to see repentance in this flock to God is in Nineveh. The last place. It's comparable to, to God telling a preacher, go down to Bourbon Street at Mardi Gras, and that's where you're really going to get the response. Go to the street, Beverly Hills, that's where you're really going to get the response. It's crazy. But God tells Jonah, go to Nineveh. You go to Nineveh and you tell them what I want you to tell them. And guess what? It's God's plans that prevail. It's God's plans that prevail. And so, believers, where is God calling you to go? Where is God calling you to be faithful? 
Most of us probably, like Jonah, have our preference, where we'd like to hang out, where we'd like our posts to be, where we'll proclaim the gospel. We might like to stay local. We might like to stay in the hometown where we grew up in, where our family is, where the schools are nice, where everything is fairly comfortable. But where is God calling you to go? Where is he calling you to preach the gospel? Some of you need to become very uncomfortable. Some of you, God is calling to a different post and you need to walk in obedience. It's God that will provide the results as he did in Nineveh for Jonah in a way that Jonah didn't expect and didn't even desire. I hope this awakens in you something in your heart where God is saying, go, be faithful to me. I'll do what you would never expect. Will you be faithful? It's God's plans that surprisingly even to us, they still prevail. The next thing that happens in the path of obedience is God's people are challenged. God's people are challenged. Now this can be in either a positive or a negative way. God's people can be challenged in the sense that they say, let's do this, let's walk in this. Or they could be challenged in a negative way where it's like, ouch, I don't know that that's, no, I'm not going to take, no, that's not true, that's not right. You see, in the verses 6 through 10 that we talked about just a few moments ago, where we see Nineveh repenting, these are there to contrast with Israel. As we said, we could go into a detailed analysis of how does Nineveh repent. But the point is that it should be Israel repenting this way, and it's actually Nineveh, a pagan people. You see, whereas it should have been Israel who's putting on sackcloth and ashes, as all the minor prophets were asked them to do, or most of the others, instead we see this surprising thing that it's a pagan nation who's putting on sackcloth and ashes and repenting to Yahweh. This is the pattern throughout the scriptures that the religious people resist God and these surprising people submit to God. You can look also in the New Testament. The fishermen and the tax collectors are eager to follow Jesus, not the religious church people. In the story of the Good Samaritan, it's the despised Samaritan who does what's good and not the priest or the Levite. In the story of the prodigal son, the supposed good older brother turns out to only be a hypocrite. There are too many biblical examples for us to ignore this warning. You see, it's irony that's going on here. While Israel should have been repenting, it's Nineveh that's repenting. We need to heed this warning ourselves. In our day and age, it could be the atheist who is less rebellious than the people who come to church every Sunday. The atheist who has more compassion than the people who sit in pews and in domes. We need to heed this warning that's present throughout the scriptures that sometimes the people who hear God's message Sunday after Sunday or day after day can be the people who are most resisting God's message and least responsive. Least responsive. So in obedience, in Jonah's obedience, this story was intended to give a strong challenge to Israel. You should be repenting like this. You should be doing this. And 
the same is true of us. Christians, are your hearts often humbled by God? Do you often dwell in repentance of your sins? Daily, are you humbling yourself before him and saying, God, help me to cling to you. Help me to be compassionate towards others. These are questions we desperately need to ask. As we move to chapter 4, we see this path of obedience in chapter 3. We see that God provided. We see that God's plans prevailed. And we saw, we see that God's people were challenged by this. In a sense, rebuked by this. And in chapter 4, we're going to see a path of transformation. The scene is changing. It's changing from God's forgiveness of Nineveh, a pagan people, to the stubborn anger of Jonah, a prophet from among God's own people. As we look at chapter 4, it's going to be divided by three main questions that are addressed by God to Jonah. Three main questions addressed by God to Jonah to point out his heart. Let's read chapter 4 together. Beginning in verse 1, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Jonah, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than a hundred and twenty thousand persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. As we look at these questions that divide the chapter up for us, these questions from God, we need to look at where God is getting to Jonah's heart, the heart of Jonah's anger and frustration. And so the first thing we see is how we respond to forgiveness. How we respond to forgiveness. You see, Jonah in, chapter, in the first verse says, it, was dis, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And what that actually says is, and it may say this in the bottom of your notes, it was exceedingly evil to Jonah what God had done. It 
was exceedingly evil to him. And so God's question at the end of this verse, the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? It aims at the heart of Jonah's problem. It aims to convict and illuminate Jonah's evil attitude. Jonah despises the idea that God can be this gracious. That God can be this forgiving. Now this, our attitude towards forgiveness, it can really be difficult to determine. It might be, we may look at Jonah here and just say, what's wrong with him? None of us would ever be like that. None of us would. But I really think that a good way for us to learn how we respond to God's forgiveness is to think about how quickly we forgive others. And particularly those closest to us. How quickly do you forgive those who are closest to you? Is it immediate? And when you do forgive them, do you leave it alone forever after that? Does it never come up again? Or is it one of those things that sometime down the road, when they do something similar to that, you're reminded of that, you did that before. That's not the nature of God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness is immediate and it is complete. I've put these verses in your notes for you. Psalm 103. So far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Also, that God, he forgives us of our iniquities and he remembers our sins no more. Remembers our sins no more. Is that what your forgiveness is like? How about those people that you can't be close to and you've just said, you know what, I forgive them, but we just can't, we just don't work well together. That's just not going to work out. I can forgive them and go on. I don't have to necessarily love them, but, you know, we'll, we'll be, I'll forgive them. That's not the nature of God's forgiveness. Jonah was missing it here. He couldn't deal with a God who was like this, and so the only thing that he saw that he could do is just die. God, if this is how you're going to be, then kill me. I can't live with this. How do you respond to a God who is this forgiving? He forgives those who've wasted their lives. Everything that they've ever had, they've blown it away. This is what the people of Nineveh were like. They worshipped false gods. They were foolish, ignorant people. They were like the prodigal son in that they went and wasted everything and they lived their lives rebelliously. And yet God said, I will forgive them completely. This is how deep the grace of our Lord is. And you interact with people every day who desperately need this type of forgiveness. The question is, can you extend that? Do you understand that type of forgiveness? That your God is that gracious and that he is that forgiving and that he will remember their sin no more? Are you one who holds those things in your heart? You are bitter even when you f- attempt to forgive. We need to question how we, look at for- how we look at forgiveness. This is part of the path of transformation, of sanctification in our lives, knowing how we respond to God's forgiveness. The next question God asks in verse 9, Jonah, do you well, do well to be angry for the plant? God is getting to the heart of how Jonah responds when he doesn't get what he wants. 
You see, already in verse 3, Jonah has asked God, will you take my life? Will you just end it? I'm ready to get it over with now. And God will not give him that. But then also in verses 6 through 8, God reveals more of what's going on in Jonah's heart. It says, the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Pay close attention to this statement. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. There's a bit of sarcasm here. It's very intentional. The narrator is trying to show us the hypocrisy in Jonah's heart. Jonah didn't want the Ninevites to be saved, but he was very concerned for this plant because it met part of his needs. It benefited him in some way. This tends to be our hearts as well. We love those things that benefit us in some way. And we're bothered when something happens to those things. Jonah wasn't concerned for people, but he was concerned for a plant. Transformation is partly a process of God not giving us what we want, but he's giving us what we need. And so what we see in Jonah is, Jonah asks for death, God doesn't give it to him. Instead, he gives him a picture and he shows him his heart. He grows up this tree that benefits him in some way, and then when he takes it away, Jonah is angry. And God says, do you do well to be angry for this plan of which you did not even labor? You did nothing. And yet I don't do well to be compassionate for these people. We need to learn to trust God with what we cannot control. And obey him in what we can control. You see, Jonah was rebellious when he could have been obedient. And then with stuff that he couldn't control, he was angry when he couldn't. We need to ask the question, how do we prevent being controlled by things where our attitudes are going to fluctuate based on how we're benefiting from these things around us? Jesus, this is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not, do not break in and steal. Jesus is getting at our hearts here because when things happen to the stuff that we, when we, that we enjoy so much, we can't delight in the things that God enjoys. And this was Jonah's problem. He was concerned for things he couldn't control and so he inevitably couldn't be concerned for the things that God was concerned for. Paul, as he endured prison, and excruciating life circumstances. This is what he learned in Philippians 4, 11 through 13. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The secret is that Christ be our treasure. That nothing else would mean everything to us. Only Christ. You see, if we put hope in things, if we put love in things, 
we're not going to be concerned for what God is most concerned for. So how do you respond? People, church, how do you respond when you don't get what you want? When you can't control the circumstances around you? Is Christ your treasure so that you're not bothered by those things? So that your attitude, your joy doesn't fluctuate based on the things and circumstances around you? Are you constantly up and down? Dependent on how you're benefiting from people. Their affirmation of you. A job. Anything. When we don't get what we want, it reveals what we really hope in. And this is what happened to Jonah. As we continue to look at this path of transformation, why is it, why is it so important that we don't become consumed? Again, it's because we aren't able to care for things that God cares for. And so what we need to look at next is how do you respond to God's concerns? Verses 10 through 11, the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. There are a couple things that God's pointing out to Jonah here. First is just the significance of the people. Nineveh is a city of many people, and God is concerned for people. You see, this goes back even to Genesis Humanity, we are God's image bearers. Unbeliever, believer. God created us initially in his image. And, and from that point, God said, it was good. We were, man was the height of God's creation. And so every person in this universe, though we, people have walked in sin and people are depraved, God is concerned for humanity. And that is why the message of the gospel is to go into all nations, to pre- preach the gospel to all nations, to make disciples, because God has an, there has an intrinsic just love for mankind. For people. And so the first thing that God points to is God has a concern, a priority, and that priority is people. The next thing is their knowledge. There are 120,000 people and they don't know their right hand from their left. What God is saying is they have no spiritual knowledge, no spiritual wisdom. And so God is compassionate towards these people because they don't know. They're completely lost, and they don't know how to get out of their sin. And so he says to Jonah, should I not be compassionate towards them? Should I not give them a chance? Should I not send you to have them to repent? And so the questions that we need to ask here are, do we respond to God's concerns for people, and particularly people who have no spiritual knowledge? Maybe their families, they've walked in generations of just disobedience and of foolishness. Maybe their parents weren't believers, their grandparents weren't believers. And there's just this sense in which they're lost and they don't know how to get out of their sin. You walk with these people every day. And sometimes, instead of being compassionate, we're judgmental. And we expect them, just work. Get out of your situation, just do it. 
But what God expects of his people is, will you be compassionate? Will you go to them? Will you lay your life down to help them? To give them my message? To teach them? We need to be concerned for people and we need to be concerned for people who lack spiritual knowledge, spiritual wisdom to walk in God's ways. We really need to make sure that our ethics are prioritized. We really need to make sure of this. You see, Jonah was concerned for a plant. And the the narrator is intentionally showing us that Jonah was not concerned for Ninevites, for real people, but he was concerned for this plan of which he did, did nothing. And God, his ethics are, people are first. I love them and I want them to repent and not suffer destruction. We really need to look at our people, our priority in our lives. People around us, are they our priority? And I wanted to just give you some statistics, and this is shocking, but that's not the intent. It's to challenge you. Are you becoming aware of people that may not be in your vision every day, but who desperately need God and who need compassion? More than 30,000 children under five have died in the Horn of Africa in the last four months. This is a very recent statistic. More than 30,000 children under the age of five have died in the Horn of Africa from the famine in the last four months. And so I think a very important ethical question that we need to ask are, we so concerned for the things that God's concerned with that our money goes to those things before anything else? Before anything else? Where is our attention? Where is our life devoted, laid down? Is it for football on the weekends? Or is it for God's concerns? His deep love? Abortion. 42 million abortions per year worldwide. 42 million per year. And 115,000 abortions today. Today, worldwide. I don't know the answer to these big issues, but I urge you, church, are you compassionate? Are you concerned for the things that God's concerned for? These are big things, and I don't know that I don't think God's calling us we have to go save the world, but He is calling us to consistent daily obedience and concern for these things. And so are you becoming aware of these things, things that, you may, that may not be in front of your eyes all the time? In fact, I would urge you, if you're not seeking out information on these things, the news isn't going to tell you. They aren't going to tell you what God's concerned for. And so you're going to have to go beyond the things that are on the news every day. We really need to immerse ourselves in the things that God is really concerned with. We really need to open up Operation World on a daily basis and pray for people groups who have no knowledge of God. We really need to get on the internet and we need to go to websites where they, where they tell us about these things and teach us about these things and otherwise we would not know anything about them. One passage from Mark six thirty four. It says, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. 
This is the calling of God's people. This is the calling of God's people. If you're not a believer with us today, the ultimate message here is that God sent his own son in deep compassion for people who live in sin. He sent this son that he might live a life of complete obedience and that he might die on a cross bearing our sin, your sin, and your shame so that you might be one with God. So that you might walk with him and so that you might have relationship with him. This is the message of the gospel. But this message pushes us into a life laid down for people, for the gospel. So I want to give you several questions just to close. These are in, most of these are in your notes. Do you have any Ninevehs in your life? And I mean this in the sense of, do you have people that you just could not stand seeing God forgive? You could not stand seeing God forgive. You could not imagine God making their life right. You need to learn about God's forgiveness. His deep compassion. Are you praying for countries like Nineveh in the world? And when I say this, I don't mean just ones that you don't like, but people just who have no spiritual knowledge. Again, opening up Operation World, the church bought those for the people because we see it as important that you immerse your family in this. So please pray for these countries. Are you reaching out to Ninevites nearby? One writer I was reading this week said that he often thought that maybe the reason that we have so many internationals coming into our country and around us today might be because the Christians aren't going to them from America as much as God wants them to. Regardless of why, we have people like this who have no spiritual knowledge all around us in our city. There's an international ministry at the BCM of LSU. You can invite students into your home. You can teach them about Jesus, and they would never hear of him in their country. And then they can go be ministers in their country. There are multiple opportunities for things like this, and I urge you to be involved. Are you supporting people like Jonah? Are you supporting people to go, to teach these people? And I I just want to warn you, I grew up in an area where one of the attitudes was, you know what, I, there's just so much to be done here. And I just really feel like I need to stay here and do what's going on here. That's not biblical. The message of the gospel, the message of the Great Commission is go to all the nations. Go. It's not wait till everything's done here, wherever you are. It's always to be concerned for the entire world and somehow strategically moving God's people, mobilizing God's people to make disciples of all nations. So it's not waiting till everything's done here. It's always mobilizing. It's always sending, making disciples. So are you supporting people like Jonah? Are you going? Are you and your family? And then how are you being transformed into God's image, reflecting his compassion? Again, this, this book is very strategic in teaching God's people. It ends with a question. It's like one of those movies that you're just frustrated by the ending. It's like, what? That's it? It's a question. God's asking, should I not be compassionate? 
We don't know what happens to Jonah. And that's the point. Because the message of the book is, what are you going to do? How are you going to respond? Are you going to be like Jonah? Are you going to be different? Are you going to be faithful? Are you going to rejoice at God's forgiveness? Are you going to spread it, extend it? And are you going to be concerned for the things that God is concerned with? I want to ask the musicians to come forward. And during our response time, I just I want you to pray. I want you to pray with your family and say, how do I need to reprioritize my life to reflect God's compassion and God's concern? Everything in your life may need to be changed. Start with one thing. Start with one thing. But your budget and your daily life needs to revolve around the gospel, the message of God's salvation to all people. And if you're an unbeliever, the way to this relationship with God, to being one with Him through Christ Jesus, is simply beginning just repentance. God, I want relationship with You and I need You. Will you forgive me of my sins? And He is faithful and just and will forgive you and cleanse you. So I just want to urge you to pray. If you'd like to visit with someone, I'll be sitting up here. We'd be glad to do that now or after the service and Mr. Al is here. But I desperately ask you just to pray. Reprioritize your life to reflect God's image and his compassion. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you have compassion for us. Lord, we didn't go looking for you. You came looking for us. You saved us. We thank you. Just as you did the Ninevites, you save us. And so, Lord, as we look at your word, we pray that you would convict us and that we would be faithful to go. Lord, to become aware of the things that we won't see with our eyes. Lord, to seek out your concerns. Thank you for the book of Jonah and thank you for how it shows us our heart. It shows us our sin but it also shows us what you are concerned with. And I pray that we would respond in faith and trust and obedience. Thank you that you provide for us in obedience, that you sustain us, and Lord, that your presence will always be with us. Thank you for your great love in Christ Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.